It is our pleasure to be joined by the foremost leaders in Florida State football podcasting. Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith are in the house. Everyone knows the Nolcast. Everyone knows. Boys, this is a first in the history of this podcast. We've we've done some home and homes. We have never done it all in one spot. So we'll see how it goes. How we do it. <laughs> It's the neutral site podcast uh, is yeah. what it sounds like. Absolutely. No, appreciate you guys uh, having us on. Exciting uh, to be able to join you and uh, excited to look forward to a, a Cheez-It Bowl. Absolutely. So we'll get, get into some good conversation today. Are you guys coming down for it? Oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, it's not the normally uh, OU will go down. We'll do some TV, like some practice reports throughout the week, building up in the game. Turns out the budget gets cut a little bit when you go six and six, but <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, we're going to sit you down a uh, day before the game. And uh, if, uh, if the wives yeah, like Jake Owen though, the country Western singer, I know they're having a uh, free Jake Owen concert downtown that Ingram's involved with uh, the day before the ball game. Ooh. Nice. So yeah. Okay. So we'll, uh, we'll you shoot that you, information you, over to you, but absolutely. I like, I like that. I, that is that's great news. Bud's That's just not- promoting 90 seconds into the podcast. Hat tip to you, sir. Thank you. Brilliant. Hey, uh- <laughs> we all know what's what is here. So the way we're going to do this, we're going to talk Florida State, and then we'll talk Oklahoma after that. So I'll just start with this, guys. It seems like some patience that Florida State showed with Mike Norvell's paying off, right? Three and six, five and seven, and now – nine and three with this football team finishing really, really strong. Like what, what, what has, what is the vibe around the program been like this season? Because it seems like things are headed in a really good direction. You know, I, I don't know that FSU would have made the coaching change when they did, had they, had they known that COVID was coming like five weeks later. Right. And that really, in my opinion, put Mike behind the eight ball. As a coach, and I think you talk to anybody that took over for a 2020 season, they would probably tell you, like, it made it hard. You, you, you're installing your stuff over Zoom, right? And there's a lot of different different things. Like, you're trying to hire coaches. I don't think – like, Mike didn't hire a whole lot of guys with Florida connections at first, which if you believe in your guys as recruiters, that shouldn't be a big deal because they can go out there and make those connections. But if you're literally limited by rule, unless you're Arizona State, you're not really allowed to do a whole lot of recruiting on the road, uh, you know, it, it, it can impact you a little bit. So it did take a little time, I think, for him to to get his culture installed. But you know, like, like if you watched him at Memphis or you know, even when he was the OC at Arizona State, like, you know, the guy is generally going to score points. And you know, this year they got the defense playing a little better. They they had to stay healthy at some key spots and did. And, uh, and they they also had some really nice hits through the transfer portal. I mean, it's it's probably the best team they've had since 20, probably since that 2016 Orange Bowl team against Michigan. How's the hierarchy looking? Uh, Florida seems like an interesting state. Like for us, we have Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. The hierarchy is set, you know, and it's like that in a bunch of places. But it feels like Florida, and maybe I'm wrong, but between Miami, Florida State, and Florida, there's like this constantly reshuffling of kind of what the trendy team is or what the, the cool place to go is with the recruits. Like what does that look like right now? You're right. There is a amount of fluidity in kind of the hierarchy in the state of Florida that I'm not sure you see anywhere else uh, as far as three main players and no 
Uh, Florida is certainly the the older university and and kind of the more uh, old line power of of the uh, institutions, but hasn't necessarily separated itself from Florida State or Miami. Um, and also, all three schools are living in a world where, for the first time that uh, that I can remember, where the top talent in Florida isn't necessarily going to either of those three schools. And so, you know, not only are you fighting to get back on the uh, the higher end of the totem pole, you're also trying to figure out which of you is going to be able to start keeping, you know, the five better kids in state, uh, which you just haven't seen for the past four or five years for the most part. So it's a, it's a different state with the dynamics of the institutions. And there is no, we're not talking Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma state. We're not talking Georgia, Georgia tech. Uh, We're talking three schools that can all point to a pretty significant rich history. Um, But all three schools are having to live in a world where, you know, the kids out of Broward County or Tampa or Orlando, wherever the talent may be in the state this year, is just as likely to go to Georgia or Alabama or, or Clemson as they are either of those three schools. You know, it's interesting. Like, FSU finished third in, in terms of high school recruiting this year with, within the state. So if you're a Gator fan or, or a Florida fan, you're like, hey, yeah, you're beating us now. We'll beat you down the line. And I think FSU fans counter is like, hey, this team should probably be a lot better next year too so you got another beatdown coming and we'll see how norvell recruits with a full year of decent results to sell throughout this whole offseason i mean you go pull up espn or cbs norvell was pretty high up there on the hot seat things and we didn't think that was justified and you know if you check our our youtube channel we're like guys fsu is not interested in having three head coaches in a five-year span like they're not going to be axing these dudes after every two years taggart was kind of a unique circumstance that they really felt they had to move on from like traditionally you know, Bobby Bowden coached 30 years, right? So they're not really maybe as reactive as people think. It's like they're not Auburn. Uh, and so I do think that a lot of other schools, though, used these hot seat, you know, reports out there against them. Like their junior day was poor. You know, they, they didn't get a lot of good kids up there in junior day last February. I think we're both looking at how they do this year, right? But on the field, I think they have a much better roster than those two schools right now. Yeah, as as I watch them, I mean they've got, and it's Florida State. They've they've always had talent. Uh, the issues, in my opinion, over the last couple of years have been you know at the line of scrimmage, most notably the offensive line. But they got dudes running all over the place. But let let's start with Jordan Travis. I, I know there's a lot of excitement already because he announced he's coming back to Florida State next season. Throughout this season, how much improvement? Have you seen from Jordan Travis and, and what level is he playing at coming into this game? He's playing at a level that honestly I think is unfair to future quarterbacks. I mean, his development has been at an arc that I don't think you can expect from other people. Uh, for the most part, Gabe, and I'm not a quarterback expert, just somebody that's been fortunate enough to follow and watch college football for a long time, but for the most part, a, a quarterback and his arm is more or less that now you can get better throwing certain routes and, you know, there's areas where you can improve, but the amount of improvement from the passing standpoint, both the decision-making and, you know, literal improvement on, on, uh, on the ball being delivered is unlike anybody I've ever seen before. I mean, Jordan's always a talented athlete. I think literally the first time he touched the ball in the bowl game, he took it, you know, 52 yards on a, on a QB uh, sweep more or less. So, uh, you knew you knew what the raw product was there. I just don't think anybody with uh, any sort of, of reasonable base idea could have extrapolated that this is where to the point that he would get as a as a passer. 
And it kind of makes you wonder, like, would you have seen it earlier had he not always been hurt throughout his career? Like, he he never had a season that he played, you know, five, six hundred snaps even. He, he was always just getting banged up. Um, this year, he only only missed, like, I think two quarters, the second half of, of that Louisville game. It's a super athletic family. Like, his brother is the second baseman for the Blue Jays, or, or was, you know. So, like, like, we knew that the dude was a really good athlete. I think this year the main thing is he's just not putting the ball in jeopardy. I mean, he, he threw 320 passes and four picks, which is a pretty nice ratio. And if you look at, like, PFF, his, like, interceptable rate is really low. Like, there's not a lot of times where we can point to and say, oh, they got lucky because they, they dropped that that you know, should have been picked. He just doesn't really put the ball in harm's way. And when you got a dude with legs like that who has been throwing the ball pretty well, and Norvell schemes up a lot of wide-open stuff, too. Like, that's been consistent really since he was at Memphis when they were battling UCF back in the day. It's a nice combo to have. You know, one of the things that, Gabe, I don't know about you, but I've frequently heard since the matchup was announced, uh, which right away I was like, oh, boy, did they uh, did they give us a, <laughs> a bad matchup for all the things that we have not been good at? But, you know, there's been a lot of people saying, well, yeah, Florida State, they're, they're on a good trajectory, but their record, they didn't really beat anyone. And, you know, you look at their, their three losses and, you know, those are – their, their toughest games and they couldn't get over on any of those. How, how did those tell us how those games actually played out? And is that a fair assessment or not? Was it a weak schedule or, you know, like what was like kind of how, how did all that fall, fall into place? I think it's fair to say that it was a weak schedule. Uh, I also think it's fair to say that maybe in the year 2022, if you've got decent culture in a bald end locker room, you're going to, you're going to have a better chance to win a lot of these back half of the season games than some programs out there. I mean, you know, we'll just have to see what it looks like, but uh, you know, you certainly benefited from playing some of the teams that you did. I'm not going to make them out to be uh, super talented or, or juggernauts by any means. Uh, but you also saw a consistent progression uh, and buy-in from a team and uh, improvement at a level that, uh, like we said with Jordan, is is hard to hard to really believe. So I think part of that's true, uh, Teddy. I, I think it's very fair to say that, particularly the last five teams they played, uh, Florida being the strongest of them. Uh, but he didn't get a whole lot of whole lot of pushback in the other four in that back half of the season where they kind of got things corrected after losing three in a row. I I also think like you know go back to that that game at Louisville, right? I, I know I'm sitting there. I I had in, instant reaction duty that night. I'm like man. Going to the halftime, you lo- you lost Jared Verse, who's you know projected as like a top two round pick. Fabian Lovett, your your bestie tackle, you know got hurt against LSU. He wasn't playing. You'd lost Robert Scott, who's your left tackle. You're on your third string right tackle now. The kid they luckily brought in with their last scholarship from South Carolina, who's a backup on the Gamecocks, and Jordan goes down here. Ooh, it, I mean this is That'll a good team it. when they got healthy guys, but like you're going to find out real quick how good these backups are. And, you know, Boston College next, the next week was kind of a blessing because BC was really, really banged up. And, you know, BC had to switch some guys from D-line to O-line. That's not a great midweek thing to have to do at this level. Uh, but you were definitely your least healthy in that Wake Forest, NC State, Clemson stretch. You know, and I feel like if you had been able to spread out the injuries some, you probably still go 5-0 and down the back stretch. You may not win, you know, you may not beat these teams by 35 or 40, but you also might have been able to pull out a win or two in terms of the close game type stuff in, in those games you lost, if you know if you have some of your more impact line of scrimmage guys, 
looking at this offense as a whole, you know, as I've watched it, it, it seems like Norvell and Atkins. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of talk about Jordan Travis and what he can do, but seems like they want to run the damn ball. I mean, you look at it, 200 yards rushing in seven straight games. Is that is that kind of the where they want to start? Everything is with that run game, guys? Certainly been a – historically, it's been a, a centerpiece of Mike Norvell's offenses always. And if you're a, a running back, I, obviously I'm, I'm unbiased here, or I am biased, but, you know, that, that would be the place where – I think historically they'll start to recruit pretty well because they can uh, be able to point to uh, point to success and be able to point to getting guys that aren't necessarily uh, and Trey Benson's a, a high level recruit and an exceptionally high level athlete. But I don't know that you necessarily need to have like a, a five star top three back in the country uh, in this type of offense to have a whole lot of productivity. And uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Gabe. That is what everything is based around. And that is, uh, you know, Mike has historically worked with wide receivers, but uh, what his what his offense is is really geared to is finding uh, situations in the run game where you can consistently take advantage of it. You're, uh, you know, you're across, across the line. Like they're they're a pretty heavy counter team. They'll they'll, they'll run some outside zone. Um, you know, J- Jordan keeps the backside pretty honest, obviously, because like he's probably still your best playmaker with the ball in, in his hands. They definitely hit on the Benson kid, as, as Ingram noted. Like he didn't get any touches really at Oregon. He had a pretty serious injury at the end of his high school career. I tend to think Florida State had some workout data on him before they said yes to him coming as a transfer, and like that has just been a huge you, hit. You sure? You sure they didn't just get eyes on his ass and hamstrings, <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, we'll take Dude. that guy." So they they liked him at Memphis, right? Because like that was the same that was the, the recruiting class that Mike was working on before he got the job, uh, and then he got hurt. And I mean, there's got to be questions like he didn't really play at Oregon, but it was a serious knee injury that he had to come back from. So, you know, sometimes that stuff just does take time. And they're like, oh, OK, this is a hit. This is this is good. Um, center is pretty undersized, but but quick. They, they seem to not make a whole lot of mental mistakes up front. Uh, the, both guards are, are pretty big. Your tackles are kind of built like guards, but they you know they do pull them a lot. Um, and, you know, tight end is there's a reason they took two tight ends in the portal already. Right. So it's not necessarily a, a strength, um, but receiver wise is where they're the most better this year by far. Like they probably had. I got some heat for saying it was the worst receiving core in the ACC, but it was definitely like bottom third last year. And then you go and you get Johnny Wilson, who's a you know six foot six type kid, Micah Pittman, who you know, a lot of people are like, how's he going to fit culture wise? And this come in and honestly just blocked his butt off. I don't know if we cuss on here, um, but I mean, just been a really good. You know, possession guy, good blocking on screens. And then I guess I think we've all played with dudes who just finally clicked at some point. And Ontario Wilson is kind of their deep thread who's just finally putting it together, you know, on, on the outside. So their receiving core this year has to be respected in a way that really has not been in several years. I want to I hear about this defense. You know, you always see Florida State has dudes all the way, three levels, always have good edge guys, um, tough big defensive tackles, backers that can run, and secondary players always feels like Florida State has just some of the most physical guys out there. How's this group stacked up? It it looks like they've made massive improvement year over year to what they put out there this season. It is a a significantly better group. I think of all the just like the most talented, physically gifted player out there is probably a transfer from Albany. I mean, Jared Verse is going to play in the game. Uh, the bowl game and 
still making the decision as to whether or not to return to school. Uh, but that is a guy who is projected anywhere from, you know, the third round to the first round, depending on where you look. Uh, and that is, you know, of the the more traditional Florida State kind of eye-popping, physically gifted defenders, I'd start the conversation there. Uh, Tatum Bethune is a linebacker that they pulled from UCF. He is not necessarily the most wildly physically gifted guy, but just a fantastic college linebacker and a solid addition who played through an injury this year. Um, the other kid that they have at linebacker who's really given him a high level of play is Kalen Deloach. Uh, Deloach is perhaps slightly undersized, uh, but a guy that can run exceptionally well and uh, a guy that has uh, blossomed into a, a really pretty above average linebacker over the past two years. Secondary's had its moments uh, of strength and weakness. I don't know that there's anybody back there that's, uh, you know, just transcendently gifted from a physical standpoint. Uh, but Jamie Robinson is a, a safety who plays, uh, you know, with the, with the field in front of him, reacts well, uh, may not run a, a four three nine or something like that, but is a, a really heady player and has given a lot of, uh, a lot of kind of smarts and, and football sense to the backside or back part of that defense. Yeah, I, I definitely think your defense is improved from what it was last year. But I I, I also still have questions about this group. And it, personnel-wise, Ingram nailed it. But, you know, you look at who they've played, and, and I really have a lot more questions about the offenses that they played down the stretch than the defenses. You know, so Georgia Tech was playing a third-string quarterback. Miami ran out Van Dyke, and I'm kind of shocked that they did. And he re-injured his – throwing shoulder on a non-contact injury. Like he literally looked like a baseball guy blowing his arm out. Like, uh, that's, that's not, uh, that doesn't look good. And so he, he, when he was out after like the first or second series, Syracuse, they physically overwhelmed. And that was kind of a, the Syracuse team they got was kind of the Syracuse team that I kind of thought they would get like throughout the whole year, but Q stayed healthy for the first couple games and won some close ball games. And as their attrition mounted, they, their depth is kind of what we had heard at AC Media Day, like Hughes didn't have dudes. UL Lafayette actually lost their quarterback like the week of the game. And then Florida, you know, Florida put up points on them. And I think it's fair to note, like the teams that can chuck it around a little bit and have competent quarterback play, you know, LSU didn't really go up and down the field on them until FSU's prevent defense was kind of a joke and they gave up like 180 yards and two scores in the last two minutes. But, um, you know, Louisville put up 31, right? Clemson put up 34. Florida put up 38. I think it's fair to question, like, if they play teams with a pulse offensively, are that can they be got? And, like, they don't really play zone very well in the back end. You're going to get a lot of man-to-man. Uh, and, you know, I feel like they don't communicate this stuff super well. So, like, there are points to be had if you can block them up front. You know, if Verse and Lovett and those guys are eating, you know, Lovett's, Lovett's their best tackle. He's probably a, I don't know, back half of the draft guy. But, like, one of the guys in this defense that – you know, you got good college players and you got guys that are like, all right, that guy's got Spenafield tools to him. He'll probably get picked. You know, if those guys are getting home and they're not having to blitz you, obviously most people's coverage is pretty good, you know, at that point. You guys mentioned that, and we probably should have started with this question. Everyone's playing for Florida State, right? Like this is yeah. the you never know coming into these bowl games now, guys. But it I, I had read a lot of stuff that this team, they, they're very motivated by getting double-digit wins. So is it everybody is planning on playing from uh, up to this point? 
yeah, everybody's planning on playing. There may be one or two more kids that'll enter the portal. I don't know that those are necessarily guys that we would have talked about uh, otherwise in this conversation. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, quite honestly, there's guys playing in this game that I'm I'm surprised they're playing. Uh, Jamie Robinson is one of them. Jared Verse is another one. Uh, now Verse still has a decision to make as to whether or not he's returning. Uh, I'm just still surprised to see somebody at that level playing in the Cheez It Bowl. To me, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, so uh, to our knowledge. Every piece of the roster uh, is playing that is, I don't know if of significance is a fair phrase to use about kids, but, uh, you know, the the people that we would have highlighted in these conversations or mentioned uh, is committed to playing in the bowl game. What's been the main change for that culture wise, you know, because that's that's impressive to pull off in this day and age, especially for the cheese at bowl. Um, I, and he had a rough start. Uh, you mentioned coming in during COVID, and I can't exactly remember the details, but something went on there early on between him and the players, and it felt like he lost the team out of the gate, but somehow has culturally wise and, you know, just what whatever they've done there, they've they've gotten everyone back. And, look, they started 0-4 last year, right? And you're like, man, this is – with the this worst could, loss in program history. Yeah, they lost they lost to Jacksonville State. Not 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 Dion's Jackson State team, Jacksonville State, which is, you know, m- more like North Alabama. Um I I think like Mike really did a nice job of instilling his culture and like the guys think that, you know, he loves them and really like they they do play hard for one another. You don't see this team take a lot of reps off and and that I don't think that was always the case in year 1, right? Like and, and he kind of stuck with the guys that wanted to be there and work hard and um, early on when you're building your culture, you got to be not afraid to sort of jettison some guys that maybe don't want to have the buy-in, right? Because they're not going to be there in the long term. And if you're doing your job right as a coach, you will. Even if it means some of the guys who are talented, maybe not buying in, like you got to be okay with them leaving. I, I think it says something like some of these dudes who are part of this rebuild have only been there for one year, right? Like Jared versus playing. He's not one of these guys that's missed a bowl game each of the last three years, although they you know have obviously, um, that he's playing, I think, does say something. So it, it's a lot of it's culture, man. Like they really do seem to seem to care about about him. Looking at the expectations for this game, right? It seems like everyone thinks that FSU is going to win this game comfortably. And when you look at it on paper, I completely understand why. But what what do you think could prevent that from happening? Like how how could this game play out to where OU is in you know in the fourth quarter has the ball chance to to go win the game? Has there been a common theme in the Florida State losses other than kind of the injuries that you talked about? Yeah, I, I think uh, defense, right? Like it, it's hard to blow somebody out if you're not getting stops, right? You know, F- Florida was missing I think five of their top six receivers in that game. And you had one dude that you had to know was the guy that you had to worry about. And the kid had 180 yards on him. I think that the rest of the receivers had one target. Wasn't that Ingram? It was like one target for all the rest of these third stringer walk-on receivers. And they just kept finding ways to get their one guy, Ricky Pearsall. It's probably like a, you know, sixth, seventh round type guy open on you. So, I mean, this is definitely sort of a, a defensive staff. Now would be a good time to like to show a pulse for the first time all year against the decent, you know, offenses that you face. Cause they really have um shoot, there's a stats term for this, but they have beaten up on bad and they've kind of been beaten up by good. Like there has not been a whole lot of middle ground. So if that 
I have a hard time seeing Florida State lose this game like 20 to 17. You know, if Oklahoma went nuts offensively and won 45, 42, I, I don't think that's crazy to think. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it, it, if that's how, if that's how they lose that, that's how I would project it to go down. Well, I would say for me, Gabe, and I don't, I don't know about you, like the biggest concern, like it, for offensively for Oklahoma in order to go out and have a night like that is going to be the offensive line. We we're going to have three starters down, uh, you know, left tackle who's an absolute stud, maybe a, you know, late first, early second type of player missing our, our starting right tackle and missing our center. So, and there's not a lot of guys behind them that have a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of experience. Um, and, you know, you throw in the fact that our, thousand yard back is going to be gone too it makes things all of a sudden become very difficult offensively so I don't know I guess you know we've got some good young talent and they've got some time to prepare for a bowl but I just I, I don't know that I see a big night for Oklahoma offensively even though like as you lay it out there may be some opportunity there and I don't know if you saw my reaction whenever you said we're going to get a lot of man coverage because that has not been uh, something that we've been good at beating this year. Is uh, is, is Mims playing? He is, right? Of as far as know. I know. I mean, he's practicing. Uh, can, can we guess at who the Cheez-It Bowl guys are? Because, like, I don't know if you've seen this, but you have two Cheez-It Bowl, and I guess one for each team. I I, I don't really know who it is for FSU yet. Like, it, it, I, I don't think you're going to like this, but OU's punter uh, has quite the following on YouTube. I think oh. he's been lobbying pretty hard. Okay. And I think so, he he told so, Cheese that he's going to vlog it, which okay. So I wonder. I, if I don't know not... if he's going to end up being the guy, but it, we'll we'll see. He's he's made it known that he wants to be in that ridiculous room. That, okay. that is. My, I like that Cheese is doing that though. It's fun. Micah Pittman, uh, Florida State wide receiver, is a little bit of a uh, uh, YouTube persona as well, and I wonder if that doesn't end up being uh, Florida State's representation from that side as well. If nothing else, a good chance for those two to cross promote each other's platform. Uh, so uh, may they may they be so fortunate. But uh, no, Gabe, I I did want to ask you about. I mean, uh, and and Teddy, you referenced it there with Harrison out, and Wanya Morris is a is a kid that some Florida State fans will still be familiar with from just from the recruitment side of things. Um, and and Gray not being available either. But what? Wait, Wanya was in that class that Jimbo stopped recruiting, and then they yes. got mad that we reported. Because remember, like like Pat Sertan was like, "Hey, I haven't talked to my kid in a while." You know, and it was like, oh, something may be happening here. This is kind of weird, like, number one corner in the country. Um, and that, that yeah, brings Wandier was, Sorry. what, 2017, 2018 That was the same class, class I guess. right? Yeah, yeah, had to be. Yeah, I believe so. This, was Wandier committed to Florida State as a sophomore or something, or, or maybe a he heavy? Was, I just yeah, know that that was – uh, publicly or quietly he was. For they were involved with him. Anyway, good prospect. Sounds like he turned into a hell of a player for you guys. Jimbo just I, turned it off. Huh? He just shut it uh, down. Oh, just – I mean, I at like, a level mm. that I've never seen before. <laughs> no, that, like, he's – was I was in disbelief for a month because I'm like this this can't happen. Nobody's not recruiting in this in this industry. I mean, uh, you know, we're all uh, not we. And Pat Sertan's uh, kid. Oh, everybody. Right. I mean, the, I remember oh, he's not like, this is weird. Like, <laughs> the, bro, you don't just stop. Number one outside linebacker in the country was ready to make a commitment video for Florida State, and then just stopped hearing from him. I mean, it, it was it was. Uh, you know, everybody's a hired gun and everybody operates under the assumption that you go in and you recruit for the logo on your polo until you stop being there. And uh, that certainly did not take place at the in the final final days or, or final year of Jimbo. Justin Fields. 
Yeah, feel it was a strange year too. They they lost to Miami, uh, had their quarterback get hurt, and then a hurricane came, and there was like a seventeen day to kind of just dead period there where I think Jimbo just decided, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it somewhere else, and uh, it was a year unlike any other. It sounds like now offensive line wise, we can kind of just move on to the OU side of things. Uh, what you guys and any questions you guys have for us, but offensive line wise. Yeah, it's not ideal when you don't have both of your uh, your starting offensive tackles and you're playing against guys like Verse. That is, that's not exactly how you draw it up. But Tyler Guyton, uh, I expect him to be he, he can play either. And I actually think from a physical tools standpoint, from a ceiling standpoint, he he's got the highest ceiling of anyone. Uh, that's in OU's offensive line room. I think if he can put it all together and have a great offseason this offseason, I think he's a first round, second round type guy. Like he's just, there's just not many people on the planet that have his measurables and move the way that he does. But the other tackle spot's going to be interesting, gentlemen, because it, it seems there are two options that I would say are most likely. Uh, one is Jacob Sexton who's a true freshman. Everything I've been told about him works hard, plays hard, cares. He's an Oklahoma guy, but he's a true freshman going against, you know, potentially a first-round pick. I know this about Levy, though. Levy is not an idiot. <laughs> if it is Sexton, he's not just going to have him on an island all day, clearly, and, and he's going to work around that stuff. But the other option is a guy named Aaron Parks, who – during the spring, uh, when some guys were out, he was actually working with the ones uh, throughout spring ball and just, you know, didn't didn't have a great training camp, and we haven't really seen him on the field at all. So the other options for OU at tackle are a true freshman or a guy who really has not played a significant snap at Oklahoma. So that's where we're at with that. <laughs> And thus, maybe maybe now we know why Verse is playing in this bowl game. Like that probably helps your draft stock to if, if you can go out, you know, if, if you can get uh, get a couple extra sacks there in uh, in the bowl game. That's that makes some sense. So you mentioned Levy, obviously for for Florida State fans. You know, dude was was at UCF, then he was at Ole Miss. How would you describe what they're running? Because it's not like the pure you know Baylor Bryles stuff, but there's certainly elements of it, right? Well, yeah, and I think you've seen a lot of guys from that camp kind of morph into the same style. You look at what Tennessee does. Um, you know, there's there's Arkansas uh, is, is trying to do the same thing. Now, here's the difference, and this has been the problem with Oklahoma. Our backup quarterback situation is so so bad that they had no trust at all in running the ball with the quarterback. The quarterback needs to be a big factor of the offense. And whenever we do it just once or twice a game, it was incredibly productive for us. But we all saw what happened whenever Dylan Gabriel went out, right? We got blanked by Texas. Um, TCU ran us off the field the last three quarters whenever he was out. So they just couldn't afford for him to go down again. So that's been the biggest factor. Now, if you know we've had a good recruiting class, we got a five-star quarterback out of that. You, you flipped Bowen like, yesterday. Yeah, 
got Bowen. What um, a weird what a, uh, sequence wow. there. You, you want to talk up about on the right side, but yeah, what? Wanna, oh my gosh. You want to talk about precedents that uh, might be bothersome moving forward. Uh, if we, we have three commitments, <laughs> two in the final 24 hours or whatever, that'll make, that'll make people's like job, Bud's job, a whole lot of fun. Like, uh, Wait, he committed to us on signing day, but have we actually gotten he, the? He uh, did the hat the, ceremony uh, and everything. <laughs> yeah, <That's>... it was <laughs> wild. It was wild. But you know, with Jackson Arnold, you feel like next year, you you hope your backup quarterback situation is going to be a little bit better, and you're more comfortable using the quarterback in the run game, and that's really going to change the way people defend you. And you know, it and it's also it's it's crazy to say as good as Oklahoma has been at receiver. We just have not been very good this year, and our guys cannot beat tight, good man-to-man coverage, and it's it's left us incredibly limited offensively uh, to where, you know, we're just kind of left with tempo. Everyone's piled the box on us. Our offensive line has been – they've been okay. They they didn't, you know, they didn't go above and beyond by any means, but but they were okay but it just makes it incredibly difficult when everyone just piles right in on top of you and you can't separate, uh, you know, from, from coverage. So, but I think the biggest factor has been the, the lack of the ability to go to the quarterback run game. That makes sense. I mean, got, got to count for numbers wise that Gabriel, like, like post injury, he's, he's bounced back decently, right? Yeah, he's been good. Uh, I mean, he has been, He's had some weird stretches where the accuracy just disappears. Like he will throw, he'll throw dime after dime after dime. And then all of a sudden he'll for about a quarter or so, he just can't hit any throws. It's it's really strange. We haven't seen we haven't clearly we're spoiled with the type of quarterback play that we've had over, you know, the last several years, but it's just really bizarre to see like he'll throw a, a tremendous deep ball or a tremendous like deep out. And then he'll have an RPO slant just there in the middle of the field and just sail it by eight yards. It's just like, wait, it, it has been, it's and been once a he little misses strange. One, he, he, he gets into, he starts to miss a couple mm-hmm. more until mm-hmm. something happens and he gets it, steers it back on the road. Yeah. It's he, but as far as bouncing, Bouncing back from that hit in the tech game in that overtime, he he's fine, but he got smoked. Dude, and, okay. Yeah. And the guy I, that smoked him just announced he's coming to Oklahoma, which <laughs> is pretty funny. All right. For those who aren't watching this, I, I was live betting this game. And I like when, when I saw uh, the lines were pretty much done by that point, but I still had it on. I was watching like uh this kid is like two got knocked out. Well, I guess knocked out once, right? Because he, he didn't get knocked out against Texas. He just it was held over from TCU, right? Right. Like they just threw it. Was it was it was, it was like a throwback pass, right, to the quarterback? First play yeah. of the overtime. Yeah. Yeah. Drake okay. Stoops threw it to him, right? I think. Yeah. That right? Yeah. A little too much air under that one. What? What yeah, are the? I mean, he hung, his, he hung him out to dry. I was like, oh god, this is. Oh wow. Um. So he, you know, because I, I was talking on on cover three with with Danny Cannell. And he's like, dude, this Gabriel kid, I saw him at this quarterback camp I was at. Like, he's got some real juice. You know, I, obviously, Danny played for you know a long time in the NFL. And so I, I trust him when he's looking at quarterbacks. I was like, like, that's he could definitely cook in that offense, you know, with, with, with Mims. I mean, Mims has been good, like numbers wise. So we, 
when you talk about the receivers, I assume it's mostly like like the, the other guys. You you can kind of put attention I on Mims, Mims and, and that. Okay, Mims has been surprisingly inconsistent for, especially compared to what we expected from him. He's just he's had some stretches where he just can't catch the ball. Mm-hmm. Walk in touchdowns, yet like dropping touchdowns in Kansas tight State games, game. like in games that we end up losing, like West Virginia, and it's been it's been strange. No, he dropped still, Kansas State. He, he's a thousand yard guy, but it's been, you know, it it he's had some head scratching performances. There, there's no doubt about it. You guys have played some weird games down the stretch. Like that Oklahoma State game was like twenty eight nothing immediately, and then. I felt like Oklahoma's defense until it got in the red zone was just non-existent. And then in the red zone, it's like, Hey, brick wall, here we go. It, it, it that was just, I don't know. It, like if you're calling these games, it has to be kind of, it, you don't really know what's coming snap to snap, but I think that's probably like indicative of year one stuff, right? Like you're, this staff still got to be learned about their roster. Dad, you want to talk about the defense? I feel like, <laughs> I feel like that could be fun. Yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the things that's been shocking is, the amount of just absolutely winnable games that we just fell apart and it it doesn't take anything big to win these games they're they're layups you know catch the wide open touchdown you know what do we have west virginia gave what do we have two touchdowns called back right two touchdowns called back because of just bonehead plays like that you don't even need to do they're easy touchdowns you know in defense we've had moments of really good play followed by head scratching can't get lined up can't make a tackle on a un, you know as an unblocked player so there's there's been these weird moments penalties have cost us we're last in the conference in penalties uh, it, it, there's been some really frustrating points, but you know some of that's going to happen with as much inexperience as we had playing out there. You know, I really hope that some of our guys are going to make some bigger strides this year than they did. Um, but you know, it <laughs> the way it unfolded was was not pretty, and you know you, you got to credit some of the guys for sticking in there, and like like we've got some guys that are going to be playing in the in the bowl game it's just strictly a culture thing and and how they want to be remembered like a Braden Willis guy who he's tied in he has played out out of his mind this year and so there's some of those you sprinkle in some of these guys that have had extraordinary seasons even though it's six and six they've done the right things and they've set the right example moving forward but you know it's been one of those years where you look back at it and I know some people like you could kind of do this with with everyone, but it's like should have won this one, should have won this one, should have won this one, should have won this one. It's it's wild. It's it's really something I've never seen before. Like we found ways to lose these football games that were right there, and all you had to do is hit the layups. I mean, to that end, like I I do a lot of the power rankings and you know sports betting stuff on Cover Three and elsewhere. Oklahoma is by far my highest rated six and sixteen. Like there's really nobody else close. So, yes. it's, you know, like there <laughs> are number like, one, we're <laughs> number one, you know, like a down to down basis that they do a lot of good things that don't necessarily always end up on the scoreboard, you know, at the end of the ball game. But like, I think about it, like if certain guys are back, if they're able to supplement with a portal and like they could be pretty good next year. 
you know, and then maybe surprise some folks. Um, the thing about that, bud, is you look around the conference, like, and not to get into a lengthy conversation about the 2023 Big 12 season, but you feel pretty good about the refs in that in that season. Oh my god. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I am I am not one of the conspiracy uh theorists on that. That that's more of Ted's line. But there's a you look at the teams in the top of the conference in the Big 12, like a lot of people are going to be losing a lot. I think mm-hmm. of all the talent TCU is going to lose. You think of some of the key playmakers that Kansas State is going to lose, uh, even Texas, right? Having to replace a bunch of that defensive line. They're, I, I would assume Texas is going to be the favorite going into the season next year in the Big 12. But Oklahoma, if they're able to retain everyone that I think should be coming back and then plug some of those holes. Like they should be right there in the conversation for the best team in the big 12 next season, especially another year with some of these young guys on the defense feeling more comfortable in Venables, system, but that feels like it's forever away boys forever yeah. away. I, so I think on that Venables the, question, Oh, oh go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Ted. No, you, you take it. I mean, so Obviously, like we've seen a lot of intervals being in this league for a long time, and that is uh, that's never a defense that is fun to play when, when it's you know when it's looking good. Um, how much of his stuff are they actually able to run? Because that's definitely not like they're not light on scheme. I feel like they 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 throw a lot at you when they're when they're fully installed. Well, they they run a lot of it. I I would say that it, you, they have a full install. And obviously, you're going to pair some things. You're going to run some stuff more, uh, you know, as you look at what you do well and what you don't do well. But the, the, there's there's been so much inexcusable, like, pre-snap problems that it, it's just it, frustrating for someone to watch. Um, have a hard time getting lined up a lot of the time. Uh, adjustments to motions and shifts. Like there's there's you take for instance the the game against Texas Tech like we got a chance to win the football game and you know we we call a blitz it's wide open but one of the guys that's supposed to be blitzing he's just like he just doesn't blitz he's playing something else just doesn't have the call like I don't even know how you line up without having the call but he did it routinely so there's stuff like that that has been going on that is just like makes you want to slam your head into the table, but that's what, that's kind of what you get with inexperience. And it, it's been, it's been a grind for Venables installing this defense and getting coming from where he was, where, you know, it takes a while. He was there for 10 years, right? At Clemson running the same system, like getting guys in. So like whenever you show up as a, as a freshman, Everyone on the team has been in it, and they know it. Well, here, like no one knows anything, right? So it's like it's the blind leading the blind out there. So I expect there to be a massive jump next year defensively. Like you forget, like more adding talent to it. If we were to take the same exact guys next year, we would. I think we'd see quite a leap forward. Now we're going to have a, a a big improvement in talent as well, and I think. You know, through the portal, they're going to add some guys. Already have, um, you know, you you've got some some guys that have been kind of waiting that, you know, freshmen last year that I feel are going to trying to rotate in and start to push for some of those other positions. 
I expect defensively for there to be a, quite a leap forward. But, man, it sometimes if you go back and you watch the film from this season, you think, how in the world are we ever going to play good defense? But it's there. It's there. I guess la- last one for me on, on, on the defense. I mean, Ingram's probably got a couple. So, Redmond is an opt-out in this one? Correct. Not playing. Okay. Without him, like, who's the dude? At, at times this year, like, when Florida State has struggled offensively, and part of it, obviously, is if you, if you don't have your left tackle, if your right tackle's dinged up and you're trying to figure out, like, do we play the hurt right tackle or do, or do we play this this you know third-string kid? And Jordan couldn't run as effectively in some of these games. He kind of was kind of gutting it out. And they just – they were like a boxer needing to get to the corner with that bye week, you know, and then post-bye week they're like, all right, everybody's – little fresher let's roll this thing but who are some dudes that you know defensively pop for you on on this team it's like like if if they're going to pull off the win and it's not 45 42 you maybe it's you know 35 28 something like that like guys that make a difference for oklahoma's defense for the bowl game so and ted i i know ted agrees with this so i don't even have to ask him if he agrees the guy who has flashed the most is isaiah co 94 he has been the most consistently disruptive interior lineman for them. He's he's been a better player than Redmond this season, in my opinion. He has had he has had a larger impact on the interior of that offensive line. Now, it was the what game did his thumb pop out of place? Is that K State? Ames. Oh no, is that you're at was Colt. Yeah. So he was in so in the Iowa State game, his thumb popped out and broke through his skin actually it's pretty gnarly and he has he's been playing with something on his like a club on his hand since i think that'll be off for this so he should be a little more effective but yeah co 94 uh jordan kelly 88 has had some nice flashes but they don't have i think when you look at the defense like they just don't have I mean, they don't have a love it. They just don't have a guy that looks like that. Yeah. You know, where you just look at him, you go, okay, that guy looks like an NFL interior defensive lineman. They just, they don't have anybody that has that, those physical traits right now. Now they're working on it, right? They're, they're working on it. But yeah, the interior of the defensive line, Ted, it has not been a, I wouldn't say it's been a huge weakness, but it certainly hasn't been a huge strength of this defense. Well, it's, you know, Venables, as good of a defensive coordinator as he is, and you've seen it show up, because our our sack and tackle for loss numbers are really good. But that is, it's all like scheme generated, right? With with blitzing from different places, bringing guys off, off an edge late, and, you know, throwing a bunch of different fronts at you. We'll, we'll play, we'll play bear, we'll play a true three-man front, we'll play four down. You know, we'll do all kinds of things throughout a game, and that's kind of how you you get those big tackle for loss numbers. You create some, you know, confusion there on the offensive line. But, you know, Redmond is is the most gifted defensive lineman we have, but he's, uh, you know, maybe three, four times a game, it's like the switch flips on and he you can't block him. But the rest of the time, he's, you know, it just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. Co is, as Gabe mentioned, he's the most consistent. When he plays low and comes off the ball with some good technique, you just absolutely can't move him out of there. Um, and, you know, hopefully he's healthy and ready to go for the bowl game. Our edge guys have been, and maybe Gabe 
disagrees, but I think they've been a massive disappointment this year. They started off really well, and just from that point on, I think everyone, after we had a couple of bad games, everyone like really tightened up and was worried about making mistakes, and it just led to tentative play, soft play, and, you know, we just we we could not get to the quarterback off the edge. The only way we could do it is by generating it off of game plan and and scheme stuff. So that's been a disappointment. But we've got good talented guys there. Like the, the couple of guys that we had starting on the edge, I feel like have a high ceiling. But for whatever reason this year, just like when it was the first four games, I was like, here we go, we're gonna have some dudes now, and it just stopped. And I think they regressed from that point on. And, you know, maybe they've had a chance to kind of sit back, reassess, get healthy, refocus, pair the game plan to to what really works. And, and maybe over this long stretch, they can come out and play a good game. You, uh, you guys kind of covered all the questions that I had of the defense uh, organically there in the course of conversation. I will just throw in one point as we talked about it there, flashing back to the Florida State side real quickly. Robert Cooper is a name that that Oklahoma fans might want to look for, a guy that's been injured all year, but it's a final game opportunity for him to make a splash. Big body defensive tackle, never a guy that's, uh, you know, He's not like a disruptor, uh, but a, a guy that could be a pretty solid player and will be the other starting defensive tackle uh, opposite of, uh, of Fabian Lovett there. He's so 91, just, right? He's 91. Big yeah. boy. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, we don't have any guys that look like him. But, yeah. well, but fire hydrant type. That, and he's also just like, is he going to be an NFL guy? No. Is he class of 2016, I think? Right. So he's like a 23 year old guy who's like 315. Last game, you know, gonna want to go strong out strong as hell. Yeah, yeah. In the exactly. legit strength and conditioning program for that long. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's so the like, kind. That's, that's the kind of guys that you need, and that's the thing that we just haven't had is we don't have any any guys that have been in there, been long time consistent players. We're just so young across the board defensively. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I I know Norvell's probably really excited to get another crack at Venables because last year when they played, that was. Uh, that was a tough watch up there in Clemson. They hit one explosive play on this pretty creative little wheel route thing they ran, and uh, it still involved um, – oh, shoot. Toefield. Um, Toefield, Roll, yeah. Rolling over like, the defender for making an extra a ridiculous 25 catch yards. And like, like landing on his back on top of the defender and rolling off and going 91 yards. Like, okay, that's uh, kind of the entirety of the yards for today, guys. Now <laughs> <laughs> to recap We the got defense. you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, y'all want to do some predictions real quickly or, uh, do whatever you guys want to do, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, Um, Hey, let's roll through our prize picks real fast, even though prize picks are not available yet for this game, because we are recording this, uh, early on. So y'all can listen to it over your Christmas holiday, uh, travel. If you want prizepicks.com, uh, promo code, Nolcast gets you 100% match up to $100 for first time depositors. We have any NFL, uh, props that we like this weekend, player props, we don't have a free square this weekend yet, right? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I will check on that. Uh, In the spirit of Christmas, I hope that prize picks will drop a, uh, <laughs> uh, a a free square for us. My NFL picks have not been great. Of course, this is for entertainment purposes only, gamble responsibility, et cetera. Um, I, you know, Joe Burrow is my fantasy team. I play one team with my neighborhood league, and uh, I am in first. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with Joe Burrow 
over 260 passing yards against New England. I don't think Belichick's going to let him run in bad weather. And I, I trust Burrow and Chase to to hook it up there through the air. Uh, and are we got any Falcons picks? Uh, as, or do you guys have an NFL team that that you that you still pull for? Teddy, how are your Patriots doing, man? Uh, it's been interesting. It's been interesting. <laughs> After last week, I just I don't even know what to think anymore. I've never seen anything like that in my life. I don't know how you show up and and. After getting stiff-armed in the face directly to the ground like a toddler, can you take another snap at quarterback in the NFL if you're Mac Jones? I just <laughs> – I don't know. That was – There's a couple people who could perhaps re- reconsider their NFL career based off uh, actions and decisions made on, on that play alone. What are we doing? <laughs> We're supposed to be like the smartest team in the NFL and that's how we win games and – I don't know what happened there, boys, um, but I don't know. The Patriots, we're going to be a, a bit of a work in progress. So, unfortunately, I, I would say one, yeah. one game I do think that's really interesting in the NFL slate this weekend, Dallas and Philly, right? No Jalen Hurts. Now, I think Gardner Minshew's one of the better backups in the league, but even though he's got he's got some mobility, no doubt, Hurts his legs, especially down in the red zone, have been such a large part of that Philadelphia offense. I I just don't know. I don't know what necessarily it's going to look like offensively for them. So, and especially against Dallas's defense, you know, one of the best defenses in the league when you look at DVOA and all those metrics. It's I don't know. I just I, I feel like that's a really tough spot for Philly and it's almost one of those ones where you could see him maybe just taking a sigh of relief and being like, all right, hey, we don't have a quarterback, but there's a lot of really good leadership on that Philadelphia team. So I, I don't know, but I think that out of the entire slate, that's that's the most interesting game for me. I could definitely see Minshew like having to take it through the air quite a bit, I guess, because Dallas. Yeah, so maybe take not... the over on Minshew passing I, yards. I could see that. Yeah. Bet bend over on the backup. On uh, the quick uh... shout out to on the college oh, sorry, slate, just real quickly, the game that I like the most is uh, is TCU and Michigan. Uh, I think that that's a, a reasonably decent matchup that you're going to get some form of competition that is held similar to regular season uh, performance. That's the other thing in these bowl games where it can be tough to kind of try to figure out where to go there. Uh, I do like Ronnie Bell's fantasy number. Also like Donovan Edwards' fantasy number from a prize picks perspective if you want to take a look at that. I like Max Duggan. I'm looking at it uh... – 245 and a half for passing yards. Um, I like the over on that. Mm-hmm. The the skill position guys that they're going to throw at Michigan, uh, I, it's nothing that they've – see, I, I mean, Ohio State has some great guys, but Quentin Johnston at 6'4", Savion Williams at 6'6". Six, six, they got a six foot nine tight end that they throw to over the middle. Darius Davis in the slot, one of the fastest guys in college football, and they pair that with a great running game and the quarterback run game as well, that you get the full gamut of offense there. I think, you know, I don't know that they're going to be able to hold up against Michigan, you know, in that that heavy run game. They may not – it may be one of those limited possession type of games, but I feel like TCU is going to be able to score some points. I can see that. I – as as the originator of TCU 28-1 to this offseason, I did have to hedge it with Kansas State because I I didn't really like – I was like, "Ah, Kansas State looks like the better team just – you know, after watching 12 games each. But like, TCU's got dudes on the outside. They they, they really do. Um, I like that hire he made, too, a D coordinator. Like Joe Gillespie, 
is well. somebody dude he was a beast at Tulsa oh yeah like every year Tulsa's defense is kind of much better than their talent score says they should be well um, TCU gave I think we talked about this they got way better from where they were to start off the year it was just kind of like let's see if we can get a stop here or there to where they are how they were playing towards the end of the year they made some some big improvement and they've got what a lot of people may not realize. And I know Michigan, uh, Joe Moore Award winner again, arguably the best O-line in the country. Even without Blake Corum, that run game has continued to just roll. But TCU's got some size across that defensive front. Now they play that 3-3-5, three, three, and now there. they've gotten they've gotten a little more complex with it as the season has progressed. They've added more and more, but – you know, Dylan Horton, the freshman nose guard is huge. I mean, they got size and length at the at the point of attack. And I like their linebacking core. I think it's gonna be Ooh, they are violent. Jaboy Hodges. Backup quarterback ready, Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> Watch it. Keep your head on a swivel, JJ McCarthy. Keep well, it the on backup a swivel. transferred to Iowa already. Yeah. Yeah. McNamara's yeah. gone. But now are do we need to do anything else? Cause I got one more thing. Uh, no, that's great. Quick Merry Christmas to our sponsors, Tarpon Sellers, <laughs> Le- Tar- Tarpon Sellers, Legendary Home, Ro- uh, home Loans, Congru- Congruity HR. Uh, are we missing anger? No. Oh, oh, Charlie Park. If you guys yeah, are in town Charlie. for graduation or Absolutely. maybe moving your kids in to Tallahassee, make sure you hit up brunch at Charlie Park. Well, there we go. Now, we went all this time without addressing the fact that Teddy called you an idiot and yes. then OU's fan base from what I can just knowing what I know about OU fans and especially OU Twitter, I'm assuming that led to a steady stream of Twitter hate that you received. How I just want to know how was that experience? It, it was interesting. So, like the ones that at least made it funny, I kept, and the ones that were just obnoxious, like if you were if you were tweeting me about it 10 to 12 times a day, I did go ahead and mute you. But, like, some of the folks were pretty funny and had some fun with it. I was like, all right, like, I'll, you guys can stay. I didn't really want, like, block anybody, you know, I mean, that I, you know, block but, I got kind but of. is uh, bred from the fires of Florida State Twitter, the most psychopathic uh, fan base on social media, perhaps out there. Uh, I'm Hard sure. Still. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he's seen a thing or two. He was Twitter born mentions. in the darkness, molded <laughs> by it. For, for the folks, who are like Nolcast listeners or um, you know Oklahoma Breakdown who don't listen to Cover Three? We are like having a discussion about the conference realignment stuff, right? And I had made the comment like, if you take the check, meaning you like you take the bigger check to go to the bigger league, you also take the losses. Go ask Maryland. And I did not mean to say that Oklahoma was going to turn into Maryland, but just that like math wise, you are going to lose more ball games in a new league because you're playing a better quality of opponent on a week to week basis. But I didn't say it very well, and so it was like it it just spread like fire. And this one guy took it and clipped it and was like, "Look at Bud Elliott saying Oklahoma's going to turn into Maryland. This is <laughs> this is definitely going to go viral." Um, it was it was awesome. Yeah, we've and got, then we've got it did not click. Like I, I know who Teddy Layman is, and it did not click at the time. And I was like, "Who is Teddy Layman?" And it's like, "Oh, okay." Now, so I'm going to get like a double idiot call out for saying I didn't know who Teddy Layman was. You don't know ball, bro. Yeah, well. It's, um, you know, with the Lincoln-Riley deal, it engaged Oklahoma Twitter to a level we've never seen before. I've noticed. Mm-hmm. And it's almost <laughs> like a, uh, I, I, it's almost like a, a plague of locusts 
that can be sent one direction or another on a whim. And it's just, <laughs> it's an overwhelming group that just, they, they attack. It's, uh, it's, it's been fun to watch on our side, you know, probably not for, for the others out there. I, I was thinking like nobody was more annoyed with USC's ridiculous turnover luck. And it was luck uh, than Oklahoma fans, right? Cause like they, that could easily have been like a seven and five team this year if they just don't get every single fumble break in the world uh, up, up until, you know, the, the final ball game there. I, I mean, like, I think if you're a Oklahoma fan, you got to be encouraged by the recruiting class. You know, I, I saw the Arnold kid elite 11. He could play like that. I think he could probably play early. I mean, he played a lot of high quality ball there in Texas. I mean, that's. Well, just that's as I dude. mentioned, like the fact you feel good about uh, him, just if at backup is going to yeah. be a game changer for Oklahoma. Cause we were, we, you know, as soon as they got on campus and they started spring ball last year, it was like, oh, my God, we have a backup quarterback problem. And they tried to address it, but, you know, they just – by that point, everyone was already taken in the in the portal. And it's hard to get someone in the portal when you've got an established starter. Oh, for sure. I mean, like, one of the most savvy moves made this year was uh, was Troy going and getting uh, Deggy, who lost the starting job at Western Kentucky. And, like, I mean, not, not a good player, but, like, doesn't kill you if you have to play him, you know, for for a game or two. It's, it is hard to get somebody like that who has enough juice. Who could, I think the better team you are, the harder it is to go and get a backup who's cool being a backup because there's like a certain minimum level of talent you got to get to get on the roster, you know. Um, so are you guys stoked to be going to the SEC? Yeah, I mean, seems like 2024 is most likely. It's I can understand why people are concerned after a uh, six and six year one but i i think that being there is going to lead to a to it'll lead to another bump in recruiting because i mean bud you know covering as close recruiting as close as you do like kids kids want to play in that conference yeah right? and there's this divide us. right between the the sec kind of the big 10 and everyone else and how that is that gap seems to be getting wider so i i think it'll help recruiting but yeah there's going to be there's certainly going to be some more losses, right? It just you that's I think that's natural to assume, but they have to they have to continue to get bigger and better at the line of scrimmage heading into that league because there's just just some different body types, especially along the defensive lines that you don't see in, here in the Big Twelve. You just don't. So that that makes sense. Also, like if you're an Oklahoma fan, worried about it, I, I would say like in the modeling that I do. Um, the bottom of the Big 12 this year was really not bad. It, and I, I actually think the like the bottom of the Big 12 was better than a lot of these SEC teams that you're going to play. You know, Old Miss is favored over Texas Tech. I didn't think Texas Tech was that bad. I mean, they had to play three quarterbacks due to injury, but I mean, that that's not a bad team. Like, they're not great, but I don't know why Old Miss is considered that much. And maybe I'll look like an idiot here if Old Miss blows them out. They, they, they might because the Wilson kid opted out, I know, for Texas Tech, but. I think the difference is more like at the very top of the league, you know, the, like the best team or best two teams. And Georgia just has like, nobody's, nobody's dudes right now look like Georgia's. Well, they've essentially been one, two in recruiting for, you know, the last five, six years. I mean, you can't, it's hard to. Saban took 27 guys and the only, only non four or five star was the kicker. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. It's, it's insane. Like they've got more, more five stars on their roster than most teams have ever had ever in recruiting. Yeah. 
the history of their program. I, and like they just at a certain point as well, like you kind of know your roster's good if you look at the portal and you're like, nobody can really help us. You know, G- Georgia didn't take a single transfer last year. Terrifying. Yeah. You know, it's terrifying. Yeah, so well awesome, man. But this has been great. Uh look forward to seeing you at the game. And the the one piece of advice, like if you just want to and we will take credit for boosting the cover three numbers because I imagine the OU hate <laughs> led to more people listening, and then they realized it. It's an awesome podcast. I am a I'm a frequent listener. Think you guys do an awesome job. But if you just want to go ahead, because I think Maryland went seven and five. If you just want to really lean into that, <laughs> if you just want to put a screenshot. Oh, man out of Maryland seven and five and next to OU six and six and just say something like, Oh, sorry. I was, I was wrong sorry, <laughs> or something. That like, will definitely oh, boost they, the Maybe, or maybe something like, Oh, you maybe next year they can get to Maryland's level or something like that. If you want to, if you really want to burn this thing to the ground, that's the way to do it, man. Big game boomer. will have like a, a new ranked list of like the top 50 times, but Elliot was wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> This is great, man. Definitely. Hey, thanks for the time, and hopefully we get a good game. I'm looking forward to it, man. At least you, got, you guys get a little warmer weather. Ooh, yeah, be nice. it's like zero degrees here right now. So <laughs> it's uh, 64. So. Nice. Must be nice. Yeah. All right, man, thanks. <laughs> See you guys.